0: I'm going to depart a little bit from my usual customary preaching, and I'm going to have more of a topical message tonight, and next week, Lord willing, I'll go back to uh, gleaning some things from the life of Samson. You know, Samson's, Samson is quite a charismatic character. Um, <clears throat> he's, a, he's a man of extremes, you might say, Um but a lot of things we learn learn from his life, you know. Though he is a man of and you know, and I was thinking about this, and, and sometimes I wonder, but then I think, well, you know, look in the mirror. Uh, how did God use so greatly in some ways such a carnal person? I mean, he he lived a lot of most of his life. He lived to please himself. If you start studying his life, but he's listed in Hebrews eleven. But again, understand that we have to also think about the context in which he lived, or the day and time in which he lived. You know, I, I think of it this way, and I, you know, my kids and I have, have hashed these things back and forth, you know, trying to sharpen ourselves and to get some answers. Just, you know, take Martin Luther, okay, the great reformer. Well, it's debatable how great he was. He was a reformer. You know, how could a man, here's a man who hated the Jews, talked about persecuting the Jews. Martin Luther, if, you, if all you have to do is Google it, and you'll find some very derogatory statements about the Jews. And that comes from his Catholic background. You know, and at the same time, also supported persecuting the Baptists. So how could a man like that really be saved? But yet he he taught, and that's that was the thing that caused him to break. Well, he, you know, they broke with him to break from the Catholic Church was faith alone. That was his thing from Romans chapter four, I think it is, or four or five. You know, and that, and that was the thing that caused you know the Catholic Church to basically remove him from the priesthood. Um, so, but again, put him in. Remember, don't put him in today. Keep him in that time period. You know, he he did, he did progress from where he was trained. Did he come to our position? Absolutely not. You know, although there were people in his day and time, but again, they didn't have they didn't have all the things that we have today. Um, the knowledge and stuff is available. Although the lot of stuff they had was available more than more than what we think sometimes. But, but again. Sometimes it takes generations. You know, I'm I'm really a, you know, I'm not a second generation Independent Baptist, but in a sense, I'm a second generation Christian. He would have been a first. Um, so sometimes it takes generations. So so keep it keep things in their context, and it'll help you. Anyway, Judges chapter fourteen. That was all free. Now we're gonna start. Judges chapter fourteen. Uh, I want to read verses uh, five to eight. It says, "Then went Samson down, and his father and his mother to Timnath, and came to the vineyards of Timnath. And behold, a young lion roared against them. You, know, you know, and again, I'll get into this next week. But already we have a problem with Samson going to Timnath. Why is that? What is what is Samson? He's a Nazarite. What's at Timnath? Vineyards." Vineyards, anyway, that's another subject. He came to the vineyards of Timnath, and behold, a young lion roared against him, and the spear of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he rent him as he would have rent a kid, and he had nothing in his hand. But he told not his father or his mother what he had done. And he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. And after time he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, and behold, there was a swarm of bees and honey in the carcass of the lion. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this time and opportunity we have to look into thy word. Lord, I pray that you just open our understanding in our hearts and minds to receive it tonight. I pray that you help me as I preach and pray that, again, we'd learn something that would help us and encourage us and challenge us in our walk with you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've titled this message, Dead but Full of Life. Dead but Full of Life. You know, God uses animals many times to teach us, illustrate truth in the Bible. We have we have Balaam's donkey, uh, we have lions, we have a lion here, and bees in the in and the carcass of a lion. But as we think about this 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 uh, lion or this cat uh, being used of God, first thing to see what to be used of God, we have to have an encounter with the power of God. You notice in verse 6, it says, And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he rent him as he would have rent a kid, and he had nothing in his hand, but he told not his father or his mother what he had done. You know, the secret to Samson's power was not really his hair. A lot of people think it was his hair. No, it wasn't really his hair. His hair was just a symbol of his Nazarite vow. The secret of his power was God. It was God, and, and if you're going to have, if you, if you're going to uh, 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 do anything for God, you have to have an encounter with the power of God. It, it says here again, the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. Now we know in the Old Testament, you know, in in the New Testament era, in in our day and time, Bible says. That, that the Spirit of God indwells us. Now, he abides there. If you're saved tonight, you have the Spirit of God. He may not have all of you, but you have all of Him you're going to get. It's a matter of how much you yield yourself to Him, how much He controls you. But in the Old Testament time, He came upon and left them. And here, here it says, the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon Him, and He rent Him as He would have rent a kid. So we see here, the presence of power of God. And, and, and the presence of power of God is often needed unexpectedly in our, in our lives. And so we need to be prepared as God's people at, at any moment uh, uh, so that the power of the Lord or the strength of the Lord is available or usable to us. God's, remember this, God's power is always limitless. There's no limit to it. But it is limited by the vessel through which it's displayed. Now, so let me say that again. God's power is always limitless, but it is limited through the vessel by which it's displayed. Joshua chapter six, Israel conquered Jericho, a heavily fortified city. We all that story very familiar. It's very familiar. It was it was walled, fortified. It was a fortress. It was it was thought unconquerable. But in Joshua chapter seven, they're defeated by a little place called Ai. Why? Because the vessel through whom God was working become defiled and was limited by that defilement. Psalm 7841 says, Yea, they turned back and limited the Holy One of Israel. They turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Uh, Look at Mark chapter 6. Let's go over the New Testament. Mark chapter 6. Let me say something else here. You know, God, God can use extraordinary means if necessary. But when ordinary means will do, that's what he uses. You know, Jericho was extraordinary means. But when they got into the land, ordinary usages, usages, God used ordinary things. In other words, the food of the land, the manna ceased. The manna ceased, and now there's food. So why did he need to send manna? He didn't. And so he used the ordinary that supplied their needs. You know, up until that time, he used extraordinary things. And even today, you know, God, I believe, can, can use extraordinary means or use miracles, but when ordinary things will do, that's what God uses. But, but again, his power is limitless. In Mark chapter 6, verse 1, it says, And he went out from thence, and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And notice this, they were offended at him. Now, when they were saying, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas, you know, they weren't saying, oh wow, he's the son of Mary, and he's he's the carpenter from Nazareth. He's that he's that great carpenter. You know, and, he, and his brothers, boy, they're prestigious. And No, that's not what they were saying. Yes, he's of that, you know, that low class up there in Nazareth. That's where he's from. Isn't that where he's from? And it says they were offended at him. But notice verse four. But Jesus said unto them, a prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went round about the villages teaching. So, so he, he could do there no mighty work. Why? Because of their unbelief. Their unbelief. They limited the working of the Son of God in their city. They limited Him. And so, you know, we need to have an encounter with the power of God, and God's power is always limited by those through which He is displayed. Uh, look at Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah chapter 59. It's an Old Testament Isaiah 59, verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save. Neither is the ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. Again, it's not that God can't. But it's because of their sin that God would not. God would not. You know, we are the light we are to be the light of the world. But we can hide our light by our sin. We're to be the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, it's good for nothing. We cast out. And so uh, You know, for this cat to be used, it had to have an encounter with the power of God. The power of God. Secondly, it had to have an encounter with the power of death. Notice verse 6 again. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he rent him as he would have rent a kid, and he had nothing in his hand. Now, the words rent him literally means to tear in two, to part, uh, rendered it inoperative or powerless, or inactive, is the idea. Uh, And if we are to be used of God, we have to be rendered, the flesh has to be rendered inoperative, or inactive. It means an end of the will, or we use the word surrender. We have to surrender our will to him. And if we're going to be used, again, we have to have an encounter with the power of death. You you know, to be saved, we must accept the fact that we are incapable, we are powerless, we are hopeless in and of ourselves to save ourselves. You know, I believe that's the reason most people reject the gospel. They think that, oh, you know, I'm not that bad. A guy said to me one time, and he was he was a he was a real character. He said, uh, Well, I never killed anybody. Not to say we raped somebody one time, but, but he wasn't that bad. I'm like, you know, are you really believe that? No. You see we think we think we're not that bad. The Bible says in John one thirteen, it's not by the will of Man. John 6, 30, 63. It is the spirit that quickeneth the flesh, profiteth nothing. John, uh, Romans seven eighteen, Paul said, For I know that as in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. And so, you know, there is nothing we can do. The flesh can't save itself. It can't. It's hopeless. It's helpless. It's defiled. You can only be saved from the penalty of your sin by the power of God, by surrendering to the power of God. Romans 1.16 says uh, that, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It's uh, the authority, or it's the right, to make us a child of God. Again, John 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power or authority or the right to become the sons of God. And so, to be saved, we have to accept the fact that we're incapable, we're powerless. But you know, we need to do that every day. If we want God to use us mightily, we must have a daily death to self. This is a real positive message tonight, I know. Go to Romans chapter 7. But, you know, again, it has very positive effects. Romans chapter 7. You you see this, you can see this in lives of people even that aren't Bible-believing Christians. This principle is true. Uh, It was said of Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan made the statement one time, you can get a lot done when you don't care who gets the glory. When you don't care who gets the glory, you can get a lot done. And many say that's why he was such a great president, is because he didn't care who got the glory for it. He just wanted to see things get done. You know, that needs to be our attitude. Uh, Romans chapter 7, verse 19. For the, good that, for the good that I would do not, for the good that I would, I do not, But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that which I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members. Notice this word, warring. Warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am! Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, when with my mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Now, Paul here, you know, this is a saved man writing this, the Apostle Paul. And he says, I see this, there's this warring going on in me. With my mind, I want to serve the law of God, but my flesh. Wants to serve itself in the world. It wants to serve the law of sin. So I have this warring going on. Galatians, In Galatians, he's, he describes it as the, as the uh, again, he doesn't use the word warring, but in Galatians 5, verses uh, 16, he says, uh, Walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to the one one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. So again, there's this constant warring going on. One old old, uh, fellow said one time, he said, It's like I got two dogs in me fighting, and whichever one I say sick them to wins. You know, that's why Paul said in Galatians 2:20, "I am crucified with Christ; nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me." That's why he wrote Colossians 3:5, says, "Mortify therefore your members on the earth." That word "mortify" means to reckon them dead, deprive them. To make them dead, deprive them of their power. How do you deprive them of their power? Starve them. Starve them. Don't feed your flesh. You feed your again. You feed yourself. Your your your. And I'm not talking about physical food. I'm talking about about uh, uh, soul nourishment or. You know, soul nutrition or lack thereof, you feed that, 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 that flesh through your mind, through the things you see, the things you hear, and the things you read. That's how you feed it. And so if we're going to deprive it of its power, we have to starve it. That's a tall task. That's something that we struggle with. Because we, like Samson... Are prone to follow the flesh. Maybe it's just me. I know you're all looking at me like a calf in a new gate. Maybe it's just me. But, you know, we all struggle with that. We want to do that which pleases me. And I ain't going to starve me? Well, that's what Joseph did. Genesis 39 Joseph said, How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He fled him got him out of the house. Daniel 1, eight. Daniel purposed in his heart. Look at uh, Proverbs 1. Proverbs 1. You know, this is part of the starving process. Proverbs 1. My son, verse 10. If sinners entice thee, consent thou not. If they say, come with us, let us lay wait for blood. Let us... Lurk privately for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as those that go down in the pit. We shall find all precious substance we shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in thy lot among us, let us have, all have one purse. My son, walk not thou in their way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path, for their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. So he's saying, you know, you stay away from that kind of company. That, would, that would, would would lead you into evil. Chapter 4, verse 14. Chapter four, fourteen. Enter not into the path of the wicked. Go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Pass not by it. Turn from it and pass away. You know, we have to determine and, and set up boundaries in our life to stay away from the things that would defile us that would cause us to yield to the flesh and not the spirit. You know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ. I die daily. I die daily. You know, I believe that was the secret to Paul's success. In the ministry. He died daily. He had a daily encounter. With the power of death. He died to self. Daily. Well thirdly. This encounter with the power of God. And an encounter with the power of death. Gives an opportunity for new life. Notice verse 8 of our text in Judges chapter 14, it says, And after a time, he returned to take her. That was the, the wife that he was supposed to get. And he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, and behold, there was a swarm of bees and honey in the carcass of the lion. So, you know, again, this lion met the power of, of God. He met the power of death. And now there's, we see an opportunity for new life, for new life. There is life in the dead cat, you might say. There's life. And if we're going to have life that pleases and honors the Lord, again, we have to die for self, but it gives us opportunity to new life. In John chapter 12, Jesus described it this way. John 12, 24 and 25. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall in the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it shall bring forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. Now, he's using the principle here of a seed that goes into the ground and dies. But if it dies, if you plant a corner of corn in the ground, that kernel will die, but Through its death, it will bring forth a stalk, which in time will put forth an ear. So you've planted one kernel of corn, and out of that one kernel, if you get one ear of corn, an average ear of corn has 800 kernels on it. But that kernel has to die to bring forth fruit. You see, if we're going to bring forth fruit for the Lord, we have to die to self. You know, we see this, this principle is taught everywhere. You know, it's interesting. You can look at things that God created and it shows you spiritual truth. You know, uh, there are 12 to 20 pounds of tomatoes per plant. Five to 10 potatoes per plant. Brother Forney said one time he asked him how he's doing and he said oh about three hills to potato or three potatoes to a hill. And I had to think for a while is that good or isn't it? You know, <laughs> well that's just you know not real great. No five to ten potatoes per plant. Uh, an average tree you can get five to ten bushel of apples. How many apple seeds does it take to make one tree? But thinking about a, a swarm of bees in the carcass of the lion, and you know again, this lion's dead, it's inoperative, but it's full of life. A honeybee hive in the summer will have sixty to 80,000 bees in it. One swarm. And honey, think of honey, honey speaks of abundance. It speaks of blessing. It speaks of the good things of God. You know, we see this throughout the Old Testament, particularly in Exodus 3 8. He said, I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of the land, unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites and Hivites and Jebusites. Deuteronomy 8 7. For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks of waters, of fountains and deaths that spring out of the valleys and hills. A land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates. A land of oil, olive and honey. A land when thou shalt eat bread without scarceness. Thou shalt not lack anything in it. A land of whose stones are iron and out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. It also speaks of the word of God. Uh, Ezekiel 3.3. 3, and he said unto me, Son of man, cause thy belly to eat and fill thy bowels with this roll that I give thee. Then did I eat and it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. Psalm 19, the law, uh, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing in the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening in the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are righteous and true altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. Ezekiel sixteen thirteen Speaking to Israel, he says thou wast decked Thou wast thou decked with gold and silver, and thy raiment was of fine linen and silk and embroidered work. Thou dost eat fine flour and honey and oil, and thou wast exceeding beautiful, and thou dost prosper into a kingdom. See, honey speaks of the abundant blessing of God, the sweetness of the word of God. It's an expression of God's goodness to us. You know God is, God is good to us. It speaks of abundant life. John 10.10, I have come, they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. And I think of the promise that the Lord gave us in Matthew chapter 19, in Matthew chapter 19, when when evidently Peter might have been feeling a little sorry for himself. And he said in verse 27, Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all follow thee. What shall we have there where to? Do you, ever, do you ever feel sorry for yourself? Do we ever feel sorry for ourselves? But notice what Jesus said. Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel, and every one that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands for my name's sake... Shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. Uh, when you got saved, did it cause a rift in your family? Some of us know what that's like the price to pay. But the Lord said, You'll receive a hundredfold. An everlasting life. You see, when we die to ourselves and follow the Lord, God gives us more than we ever gave up. We can never outgive God. I mean, his blessings far outweigh. The sacrifices that we make. Not to to say that sometimes when we make those sacrifices, it hurts. It hurts. But the blessing of God began far outweigh the sacrifices we make. Oh, when there's an encounter with the power of God and an encounter with the power of death, there's an opportunity for new life, an opportunity for new life, abundant life. But I want you to notice a fourth thing. This new life takes time to bear fruit. In Judges chapter 14 and verse 8, notice this phrase, And after a time. Now, we don't know exactly how long this time was. But Samson killed this lion when he went down to take his wife. And then, of course, you know, there's that happening where, um, you know, the riddle and all that. And, and you know, the first time he went to sorrow and then he went to take her. That, that's what happened. And And so... So when he goes back after the riddle, and you know he kills these Philistines, and, and so there's this battle takes place, and and they and then they uh, um, <clears throat> have all the you know the things that went on there, and so then he goes goes back to, to go back to his wife who was actually given to somebody else, uh, and and so it's after time we don't know again don't know exactly how long. So commentators say maybe a year. See, new life takes time to bear fruit. It's after time. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1 says, To everything there is a season, and a time to every purpose under heaven. It takes time. You know, sometimes you... You, you obey the Lord. You, know, you, may have, you may have parents or siblings that think you're the craziest person on earth. And they think you are depriving your children of all the things and the, and the good things of life. And what can you say at the time? Really nothing. But as your kids grow up and they see a difference in your children and theirs. See, it took time. Then they start to realize, hmm, maybe there is something to this. Maybe you were right. You know what? It takes time. It takes time. You know, you plant, and you always, you always, you or you sow, and you always reap later than you sow. You know, our problem is we live in an, an age of instant things. We have instant potatoes. We have, you know, instant coffee. I don't know if it's any good or not. I know instant potatoes are not. Uh, we have, you know, we have instant hot chocolate. We have, you know, it might give you a headache. Uh, we have, you know, we have all kinds of things that are instant. We have microwaves. You know, we can heat things just instantly. We have drive-in windows. You just pull up and, you know, and tell them what you want, and they send it out to you, and you pay them, and you go on. Everything's instantly. That's why we want things. Real life doesn't happen that way. Sowing and reaping doesn't happen that way. It's not instant. There's a season to it. And it says, after a time he returned. And there was a swarm of bees and honey in the carcass. You know, Really, you know, from my understanding of, take, of bees, it would take almost a year for them to have honey. We to eat. So, if we want to see God bless us and use us, we have to have an encounter with the power of God. We have to have an encounter with death. We must die to self. That's what salvation really is, dying to self, giving up your own way and accepting God's way. You know, have you accepted his way? In Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come unto me all ye that labor are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. All they are trying to work and earn their way to heaven, come to him. Turn away from your labors, and he'll give you rest. Then he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. If we want to have his blessing, we must yield to him daily in our life. If we want to see fruit in our life, we want to be fruitful and have that abundant life. But again, fruit bearing takes time. It takes time. So the question is tonight, have you died Have you died to self? Have you surrendered your will to his? Have you accepted God's way? Or is it something you're struggling with? Many people in the Bible struggled with things. Moses struggled with his call. What was his problem? He hadn't died to self. Why did Abraham go to Egypt? He hadn't died to self. Why did Sarah give Hagar? Why did Peter rebuke Jesus? We could ask, why, why, why? But it all really is one simple reason they hadn't died to self. Self got in the way. How is yourself tonight? How is yourself?